You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. Starting a new series next weekend, but this weekend, it's one of those rare weekends we're in between, and I kind of get to go off of just some stuff that God's laid on my heart recently. And this time of year, it's important because a lot of people were kind of programmed to be thinking about the year that's passed and to be anticipating the year to come. And it's easy to go back and remember some things, but it's hard to remember some things. Does anybody relate to that? A few weeks ago, I met with our staff and we were talking about 2022. And it was like, man, well, there's so much to celebrate from 2022. Let's talk about it. Where's some things we want to celebrate? And all of our staff was kind of glassy-eyed, like, huh, 2022. How long, where was, I don't remember 2022, right? It's hard sometimes. And so it took us a little bit to go, oh yeah, what about? Oh yeah, what about, what about? And we had to talk through this stuff. But if I asked you, what are you thankful for from 2022? we'd get a mixed response probably because the truth is some of you, 2022 has been awesome. And for some of you, maybe your family's a little like ours. We've had some setbacks in 2022. We had some losses. We had some heartache, some difficulty. Maybe you're like we are. Maybe you're looking at 2023 and you're just thinking, thank God that 2022 is coming to an end. Maybe you're hopeful about 2023. Maybe you're anticipating what might be in store for you, what God might have planned for you. But, but this is what I know it's important for us to remember. And that's the title of my message today. My title for the message is this, remembering too much and not enough. Because this is a problem we have. We remember too much, but not enough too. I'll, I'll give you some examples. Um, why do I remember the lineup for the 87 Cardinals? But I can't remember all 12 disciples right? It's like, do I need the 87 Cardinals lineup? No, I've never come into contact with somebody, never been in a job interview. And they're like, well, Mel, the job is yours. If you can just tell me who played second for the 87 Cardinals. And I'm like, I got it, right? Like it's never happened. Um, But there's been lots of times that I'm like, oh, all 12. I don't remember, right? Um, There's times that uh, I'll hear a few notes of a song on like a commercial, a song I haven't heard in 30 years. And I'll be like, I know that song. I know it. I know the lyrics. Like it's in my brain. It is locked away somewhere in my brain. I know it. I can sing it. I can recite it, right? But, but I can't remember um, things that I should remember. It just escapes me. Now, let me ask you this. Um, how many of you remember pre-cell phones? Does anybody remember before cell phones? Okay. There's a few old folks like me. I remember, okay. Kim and I didn't have a cell phone until we were married. That's when I got my first cell phone. Uh, like I remember the cell phones that were like, remember the bag phones you'd plug in and it, they cost like $500 a minute to talk on. Like it was that kind of thing. It was crazy. Um, so before cell phones though, for those of you that are uninitiated, before cell phones, you had to memorize people's phone numbers. And I'm not kidding. I had all of my friends' phone numbers memorized. I knew them by heart. Like I didn't have to look them up. I could just dial them. I could dial them out, call them up. I knew it. Why? Because I memorized them. If you ask me how many numbers I have memorized today, I literally think I have four numbers memorized. My number, my wife's number, the church's number, and also my mom's number, which happens to be my childhood phone number that I grew up with. Those four numbers. I might also, with a gun to my head, be able to tell you the phone number for like Giant Eagle curbside pickup because I have to dial that when I get there, right? But other than that, I don't remember. I don't even know my daughter's phone numbers. If something happened and I lost my phone, I would never be able to call my girls ever again because I don't even know their phone numbers. I don't have them memorized, right? What happens? Well, we remember too much and not enough. We remember some of the things we should remember, but not enough. We remember too many of the bad things that we shouldn't remember. We can't set them aside. 2023 is going to be a year that we spend some time remembering because 2023 is a big year for our church. Uh, 75 years ago in 1948, a group of people banded together, a small group of people, and said, you know what? We want to start a church. God's calling us to start a church in Indiana that's going to reach our community and reach our region and reach our world. And they dreamed about sending... 
They dreamed about sending missionaries. They dreamed about raising people up. They dreamed about building a congregation that would impact this region. And I'm so grateful that our church is doing the things that the people who founded our church 75 years ago dreamed about. And so we're gonna spend some time in 2023 looking back and reflecting, because let's be honest, uh, the greatest days of our church in its history are probably happening right now. We're probably in the midst of it, but these, these aren't the greatest days in the history of our church to come because the greater days are in front of us. I think what's in front of us is better than what's behind us. And I'm, I'm excited by the fact that God has done some incredible things through our church, but God's not through yet because there's still lots of people in our world who need to know the love of Jesus. So we're gonna spend some time in 2023 reflecting and remembering and thanking God but there's lots of examples in scripture where people remember too much and not enough. We're gonna talk about one of those today. Now, I'm gonna be jumping around in scripture a little bit, but all of the scripture we are looking at um, deal with one narrative, with one story. And this is the children of Israel. They were in captivity in Egypt. Um, let me just give you the background. Um, the nation of Israel, really, it was just a family initially. They moved into Egypt to avoid a famine. Uh, there was food available in Egypt, so they moved to Egypt. Uh, God blessed them. Their family flourished. The nation began to flourish. And before you know it, the nation of Israel had become powerful while in Egypt. The nation of Egypt was uncomfortable with that. They had un become uncomfortable with how strong the Israelites had gotten, and they subjected them to slavery. And so they come into slavery, uh, and they stay in that state for 400 years the cry goes up from the captives to God. God hears their cries. He dispatches Moses and Moses acts as their deliverer. He delivers them out of Egypt by the power and the hand of God. He delivers them out of Egypt with the intention of delivering them to the promised land, the, the place that God had promised their forefather Abraham and they were intent on going there. So if you don't know all the backstory and all that kind of stuff, it's okay. We're not gonna get into all that today but we're gonna pick it up in Exodus chapter 16. Exodus 16 verse one says this, then the whole community of Israel, they'd set out from Egypt. They set out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of sin between Elam and Mount Sinai. So they had left Egypt and they're in the wilderness now. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. So I wanna get this in your brain for the context. Literally one month after they had been slaves, they are now in the wilderness. This is a month later. Verse two, there too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. And now you have brought us into the wilderness to starve us all to death. Sounds like they were eating all the bread they wanted. They weren't on their 21 days of prayer and fasting, if you're asking me. That's what it sounds like. Um, here they are, 15 days, I'm sorry, 30 days basically after they had been in slavery. And they're mad. They're complaining. They're hungry. They, they say, Moses and Aaron are the worst leaders ever. Why did they bring us here? Do you remember how, do you guys remember how good it was when we were in Egypt? Oh man. That was awesome. We had pots of meat that we could eat and we had bread. Oh, that was so good. You remember, you remember how awesome that was? And when we read this, we have the power of hindsight. We can look at the context. And when I read this, I'm going, no, it wasn't good. You were slaves in Egypt, right? But yet here they are saying, man, it was good. Oh, it was so nice. It was so comfortable. You remember how good we had it when we were slaves. And what they're doing is idealizing the past. They're looking back and they're misremembering what actually was. And this is something that's a, a psychological phenomenon that we actually do. We idealize the past many times. Um, what we do is we, we look back at difficult situations and seasons from our past, and we can gloss over how difficult they actually were, and it's a defense mechanism. So this is why people can look back at abuse from their childhood, and they will defend it, or they will kind of gloss over it. Well, it wasn't that bad. Well, he never meant to hurt me. Um, we, they'll say things like that. Or maybe um, a, a victim of spousal abuse will defend the spouse, and well, they didn't really mean it. And, oh, you don't know their heart. 
Why? Because they're idealizing the past. And this is a way for us to protect ourselves, a way for us to guard our hearts. Um, But it's not being honest. It's not truthful about what really happened. And what they're doing is they're idealizing the past. Um, And we do this all the time. All of us do this. I was talking to somebody um, just a couple weeks ago, and they asked me the question. They said, if you could live in any time period throughout history, which time period would you live in? And I was like, this one. They're like, you wouldn't want to live in, I was like, no, no, I would not. Um, I don't want to live in the old West. Thank you very much. Like, I like no polio. That's a pretty good bonus of living in the world we live in today, right? Like, that's a bonus. I like that. I like the fact that if I get sick, the doctors aren't going to treat me with leeches. That's a bonus. I will take modern medicine, right? That running water thing is a really good thing. Hot showers. I sign up for hot showers. I like hot showers, right? The person I was talking to was like, what about Victoria, England? And I was like, do you know how bad people smelled in Victoria, England? You have idealized that period of time. Like, no, thank you. Any person from history, if, if you just gave them the option, where would you want to live? They would all be like, right there. Where you live, that's where we want to live. Because it's great, but what, we, what do we do? We idealize the past. Oh, it'd be so awesome to live in. No, it would not. People raid your house and take all your stuff. No, thank you. I'm good with the, the time we live in today. Why? Because we do it. We idealize the past. This is what the Israelites did. They idealized the past. They imagined that their past was better than it actually was. And the problem is when we do this, we're foolish. Proverbs 26, 11 says, and this is a crude verse, but it's in scripture. I want to share it. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. And this is what happens over and over and over in our lives. We idealize the past and we go, oh, it wasn't that bad. Oh, you know what? I know I broke up with her, but man, she wasn't that bad after all. And then we go back and we're like, oh yeah, she was that bad. You know, he wasn't that bad. I, I, you know what? I kind of miss him. I'll go back to him. And you go back to him. I've seen this happen with, with single ladies in our church. They, they date a guy. It's a train wreck. They break up with him and then they go back. It's like, why did you? Well, it wasn't that bad. It's like, do you forget what he did? And the answer is yes, they did forget what he did because I've idealized it. They're foolish and they keep going back to their foolishness. We're foolish, so we keep going back to foolishness. Keep going back to things that we should have left. We remember too much and not enough all at the same time. So the Israelites, they're saying we're hungry. And if we were just slaves again, then we'd have all the food we'd want. Wouldn't it be great if we were slaves again? But they've forgotten. So this is at the beginning of their journey. As, as they leave Egypt, they, they have this experience. Now, fast forward, they've made their way through the wilderness and they are on, on the edge, literally the, the, the brink of moving into the promised land. And so what they do is they send some spies into the promised land, 12 spies, and they say, go check it out, bring us back a report. And they come back and two of the spies, these are guys I love, Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua and Caleb, they ap- approach this and they're like, guys, God told us to go. I can't wait to go. It's going to be incredible. You have no idea what's over there. It is so bountiful. The fruit, the the life is going to be good. Um, We can't even begin to tell you how awesome it is. They brought this incredible report back. And then the other 10 were like, well, wait a second. Hold on. Yeah, they're not lying, but there's also giants in the land. And they're not just tall, like, like grain fed, big guys, right? Like they are giants. And they said, we are grasshoppers in their sight. That's what we feel like when we see these guys. They're giants. And they bring this negative report. See, God's already told them go. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, who I love, these guys are the mentality of uh, ready, fire, aim, right? Like they're like, let's go. If God told us to go, we're going, let's go. And the other 10 are more rational and they're like, yeah, this doesn't make sense. I'm not sure we can do it. And then listen to the response. This is in Numbers chapter 14, verse one. It says, then the whole community began to weep loudly and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt. Does this sound familiar at all? 
Or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us in this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves. Let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. They asked the question, wouldn't we be better in slavery? And then they decided we're gonna kill Moses and Aaron. We're going back to Egypt. But here's the question. What were they going back to? Because if you're familiar with the story, um, Pharaoh and his army pursued the Israelites. So God miraculously parts the Red Sea. He pursues them, Pharaoh and his army pursues them into the, into the gap, into this void, and then God drowns them in, in the Red Sea. And do you think the people of Egypt would have welcomed them with open arms? They're like, oh, hey, come on back. So we've missed you guys. No. They didn't want to go into the promised land because of what the promised land held. It held death for them, right? It held loss for them. They, they were scared. Even though God had said go, they were scared about what the promised land held. So they, that was not an option. They couldn't go back to Egypt. That was not an option. And here they are stuck in the wilderness. They're stuck in this place they didn't want to be. They're stuck in a place where they're not seeing bounty. They're not seeing fruit. They're not seeing an abundance. They're saying, we, we don't like where we are, but we can't move forward. Let's take a chance to go back. And at this point, I go, why in the world would you go back to Egypt? It's not even really an option, but, but they were intent on doing it. And here's the thing. Um, right after this, God gets ticked off at them. He, he, he actually says, um, I think I'm gonna wipe them out and start over with Moses. And Moses is like, whoa, 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 hold on. I, I don't think that's the best plan, God. So he, he intercedes on behalf of the people and God relents and he punishes them. He says, okay, none of these people are going into the promised land. They're gonna have to wander the wilderness until this generation passes away and the next generation can go in the promised land. You go, man, that feels harsh. Well, here's the thing. And if you're not looking at this in context, we miss this. God's not punishing the singular act. He's actually punishing 10 acts of rebellion that we see from the Israelites throughout this journey. From the time they leave Egypt to now, there are 10 things. And this last one just kind of is the, the straw that breaks the camel's back. Um, so I'm not gonna read all these to you, but I'll just give you a, a brief overview. There's one that's a big one that you might be familiar with. This was the idol worship. This is where um, the, the people of Israel, they craft a golden calf and they worship this golden calf. That's a big one. Idol worship is a no-no, right? That is in the, the big 10. Thou shalt not, you shall have no other gods before me. God says this explicitly. So that's a big one, right? Well, let's look at the other nine. There's four times where God calls the people to trust him and they don't. One was when they were crossing the Red Sea, they were reticent. They're like, ah, I don't know if you can do this, God. God, you brought us here, now we're gonna die. They didn't trust God that he would make a way. The, the final one was crossing the Jordan into the promised land. They didn't trust God. They said, nope, we don't trust you. We don't think you're gonna take care of us even though he told them to go. The other two were related to manna. So God sends manna. So the story we read at the beginning where they said, let's go back. We had pots of meat and bread. God sends manna for them and provides for them. And what he does is literally manna falls from heaven and he gives them guidelines. Hey, it's gonna be fresh every day and you go pick it up. You pick up, collect what you can eat for the day and that's all. Don't collect more because you're not saving it. I'm gonna send it every day. You gotta trust me. And for the Sabbath, you don't collect manna, I'm gonna send double the amount the day before. So on the Sabbath, you don't collect anything, but you collect enough for two days. So trust me in this. And people didn't trust him. They were hoarding the manna because they were like, I'm gonna get, I've got it now, I'm gonna hoard it because I don't know if he's gonna provide for me later. And it was a trust issue with both the Sabbath and the regular. And so what we see is four different instances of trust where people didn't trust God. And this violates 
relationship with God. And then there were five instances, and we've seen a couple of these, where people complained. That was their sin, they complained. And the word that we see here for complain is a word loon in the, in the Hebrew, and it means to lodge, to stop over, to pass the night or abide. But it also means to grumble, complain, and murmur. And these are two separate definitions, but I just love the word murmur. I don't know, I just enjoy saying it. Murmur. It just kind of rolls off the tongue, or maybe it doesn't, and that's why I like it. Anyway, murmur. You're wanting to say it, but you don't want to look weird. That's okay. You can say it later on the way home. So here's the thing. These feel like two disparate words. Like it means two different things entirely, right? Because one means to set up, um, like stay the night, to abide, to stay a while. And then the other one means to complain or murmur. But really they have more in common than what you might think. Because in my experience, the people, negative Negative series of events will come to all of our lives. All of us will endure heartache and loss and sorrow and grief. All of us will. All of us will, will deal with people that don't treat us well. And we have an option on how to respond to that. Some people will move on. Some people will go, okay, this wasn't great. I'm moving on. This isn't, gonna, this isn't going to debilitate me. I'm, I'm not gonna get stuck in this place. I'm moving on. Does it mean we don't grieve? No, absolutely, we grieve. But, but there's something about letting an offense stop us in our tracks where we go, nope, I'm never gonna forgive that person. Because what's happening is we are abiding in that spot. We're saying, I'm gonna stay here. And when that happens, we begin to get a, a spirit of complaint, a spirit of murmuring, a, a spirit of gossip, if you want to say it that way, of grumbling. And that's different than saying, man, it's been hard. And, and what the sin of the Israelites was is that they camped in that spot. They complained about everything. Literally, God, we don't have any bread. God sent a manna. God, we don't have any meat. Thanks for the bread. We'd really like some meat. He sends them quail. God, we don't have any water. He sends them water. God, this water tastes funny. We only drink Voss water, God. Can you give us the Voss water? Literally, they complained about the drinking water, so God had to purify the water for them. I drink tap water. Like, it moves when you put a magnet to it. I'm cool with that. I'm okay with that. It makes us stronger, right? The Israelites complained. It's not good enough. Why? Because the complaint was in them. They... They camped out there. They, they abided there. But this is the thing. If you look at their sins against God, 90% of them weren't even big sins, right? They weren't the big ones. 90% of their sins were lack of trust and complaining. And those are things that are solved with remembering correctly. If they could just remember how good God was, they wouldn't complain. See, by this point in the story, the Israelites had seen miracle after miracle. They had seen God part the Red Sea. They had seen God provide, oh, God, it's too hot. And what did God do? He provided a pillar of cloud by day so they could walk in the shade and a pillar of fire by night so they could be warmed. They had seen the, the food and water provided. They had seen all these miraculous works. And in spite of this, they complained. God, why aren't you giving us, God, we need God, God, Moses and Aaron are terrible, all these things. Why? Because they remember too much and not enough. Oh, remember how good Egypt was? Oh, remember how great it was? We had all the stuff we needed, but they didn't. But we do the same thing. Do you ever read the Bible and you're critical of the people in the Bible? And you're like, I would never do that. Come on, don't be all pious on me. You know you do. I do. I do. I read the Bible and I'm like, oh man, those people were evil. Can't believe they would act like that. I do this with the Israelites sometimes. So I'm like, man, these people were nuts. Can you believe that? But I do the same thing. Um, so here at Summit, I still occasionally, I'll get some hate mail once in a while. Somebody who doesn't like something I said from the stage or something I, I should have said but didn't say. Um, 
the fact that we have female pastors, that there are people that don't like that. There's just things that we don't make everybody happy, and that's okay. I'm all, I can live with that. But for every piece of hate mail I get, I probably get 20 notes or texts or messages from people saying, man, thank you so much. Man, this church has changed my life. Man, this church has impacted our kids, whatever it might be, which is awesome. Do you know what I remember? The hate mail. I do. Do you know why? Because I'm crazy. (laughs) But we all do this. Your spouse might say five good things to you, and they say one questionably negative thing to you. That's what you fixate on. Well, why did they say that? I can't believe they said that. We forget, right? We remember too much and not enough. We do it all the time. We're not better than the Israelites are, but we keep coming back to this this thought, why would they do this? If we had seen God work the way they saw God work, why would they do this? And this is the answer I keep coming back to. Because the slaves had left Egypt, but Egypt had not left the slaves. See, these people were born in Egypt. Egypt was their native tongue. Egypt was all they knew. It was their paradigm. It was their life. It was how they saw the world. It was what they filtered their experiences through. It was their first memory. When they said they wanted to return to Egypt, they weren't saying, I want to go back to an enemy. What they were actually saying is, um, I want to go home. I know home wasn't awesome, but I want to go home. See, the first time they get to the wilderness, to this in-between place between what God had promised and what they had left, they get in the wilderness, and the first time they come to hunger, like, I'm hungry. I have a need. We just went back to Egypt. We wouldn't have this need. I mean, yeah, things wouldn't be awesome, but we wouldn't be hungry. And when we understand that this is all they knew, I think it softens our view of the Israelites just a little bit. See, they were Egyptian slaves. They, they dreamed about a future because they had heard these stories, almost like a myth. They had heard these stories about a promised land. And, and they'd cried out to God for help. And God sends a deliverer and the deliverer shows up. And all of a sudden, they're, they're thrown into this new identity. Oh, this is who we are. We're children of God. I got it. And they're, they're, they're thrown into this journey. And in this journey, they, they go, we like the destination. We want to go to the promised land, but we're not sure we actually like the road. This journey stinks. This is painful. This, this is, involves loss. We don't, we don't have food. We don't have bread. Back in Egypt, why? Because they had left Egypt, but Egypt hadn't left them. Egypt was in their heart. And I think this is one of the reasons why God said, hey, this whole generation has to go before you can go into the promised land because the promised land is reserved for people that don't have Egypt in their heart. And for so many of us, we get stuck in this wilderness season and we're going, God, I know you've got something in front of me and and I know that I'm leaving something behind, but God, I don't know. And you feel this tension And our natural response is to go back, because this is the thing. We're born into sin. See, sin is our native tongue. It's what we know. And then we find this new identity, and we're invited on this journey, and we go, I like the destination. But man, this road is hard. I gotta give up some stuff. Have you ever seen somebody who came to church or maybe in your personal life, you you got to know them and they started growing in their faith and you're seeing this light come on in their souls and you're like, yes. And then all of a sudden they're like, nah, I'm I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Like what in the world? You know what happened? They got hungry. They said, "I'm, I'm going back to Egypt. Egypt was still in their hearts. See, sin is in us. And it takes more than us just going, okay, I wanna love Jesus more. It takes a paradigm shift. It takes a mind shift. It takes a heart shift in order for us to say, hey, I'm getting Egypt out of me. I wanna move ahead into what God has for me. And the wilderness is hard. 
I spent a lot of time in 2020. If, if you're interested, you go back to the archives. In January of 2020, I preached a series called The Wilderness, and we talked about this idea. And it was so important because that was the January before COVID. And we talked about this wilderness season of waiting and trusting God and being led into a new season and not knowing what, where it was gonna take us, but we trust God enough that we're gonna be obedient to go wherever he tells us to go. And this is what we talked about in that, that series. And one of the things we talked about then that I wanna remind you of today, that if you're in wilderness, I want you to be encouraged because every new season in your life is preceded by a wilderness. Every new season is gonna be preceded by a wilderness. And that wilderness is gonna be a time of lack in many ways, but it's also a time of preparation. Jesus was sent into the wilderness before his public ministry started. He went into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He was tempted by the devil. He was prepared for the ministry. The nation of Israel wandered the wilderness for 40 years. God was preparing them for what was next. So I wanna encourage you, if you find yourself in a wilderness season, just know God's not through with you. He's preparing you. So what happens? Well, the, the current generation passes away and they're passing away. God, God is preparing the, this new generation to go into the promised land. These people that didn't know Egypt, these people that were born in the wilderness. So in Deuteronomy chapter six, Moses speaks to the people and he's trying to help them prepare for what's next. And he says this in verse one, these are the commands, decrees and regulations that the Lord, your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. And you and your children and your grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. So here's what he's saying. Um, don't forget what I have taught you, what God has told us to do. The commands, the decrees, the laws, these are really important for us to live this way. And it's important for us to remember it. He's saying, remember what you have been taught. Remember what you've been told. Remember who God is, is what he's saying. And then he says, and you and your children and your grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. Now, when we think about fear, it's easy for us to default to our cultural stuff, like fear, like scary movies, right? Um, I'm, I'm to the age now, I don't get excited about scary movies. I avoid scary movies. Even the previews of scary movies scare me. And if the previews are scary, I probably shouldn't even watch the movie, right? Um, that's not what we're talking about. Um, I, I do like scaring people though. It's, <laughs> it's a love language. It's my love language to others. It's like, I'm gonna scare you and that shows you that I love you. So like in the office, I will hide and then jump out from places and scare people. It's really funny when I scare somebody that I didn't think I was scaring. Like I think it's somebody, but it's really somebody else. And I'm like, ah, oh, sorry, Pastor Dick. Right, like, oh, sorry, but I didn't mean to, you know. I, I like to scare my girls. I will hide or I will make voices or <laughs> I will do it. But it's fun. It's how I show my love them, right? That's not what I'm talking about. God does not intend to scare us. He's not trying to scare us of hell. Like, oh, if you're not good, you're going to hell. Like, that's not what God is after. When you look at this word here for fear, what it's really talking about, uh, the, the actual Hebrew word is talking about reverence and honor. We, we revere God and we honor God. And this is what Moses is saying. Um, let me try to put it in context for you. So Jim Hennessy is a pastor and he is one of my overseers. Uh, pastor Jim, he comes at least once a year to preach here at Summit. He's fantastic. He is my spiritual father. He's somebody I love and esteem dearly. Uh, pastor Jim is not somebody that I'm afraid of. I do not fear Jim Hennessy, but I will tell you I honor and esteem and revere him. And because I honor him, because I... I love him the way I do, I wanna steward our relationship well. I wanna be careful how I handle our relationship. I don't wanna treat it flippantly. I don't wanna to be too familiar and too um, casual with how I interact with him because I honor him. Now, he looks at me as a spiritual son. And as a spiritual son, I can speak things to him that other people can't speak. But I wanna be very careful about how I handle that because I honor and revere him. I never wanna violate that relationship by being too casual or too flippant. And this is what God is inviting us into. 
We are his sons and daughters. Jesus calls him Abba, Father. This is a term of familiarity, a term of intimacy in the Aramaic language. And we're invited into this place where we can say he is our dad. But we also have to be careful that we're not too casual or comfortable or flippant in our relationship with God. Because I think we have gotten so familiar with God that we've lost our awe of him, that we've lost our reverence of him, that we've lost our our awe of his power. Why? Because we've forgotten. And so what Moses is saying is, hey, hey, don't forget who God is. And when you remember who God is, when you remember what God has done, it's going to evoke a holy fear in you, a reverence, an honor. And this is the first thing I would mention to you today. Remembering what God has done evokes a holy fear. Verse two says this, if you obey all his decrees and commands, you'll enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. He says twice here, obey. Then all will go well with you and you will have many children, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors promised you. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands, wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What is he saying? He's saying, you need to remember this stuff. It's so important for you to remember it, for you to teach your kids to remember it. Show them the way. Live your life this way. And he emphasizes the beginning of this passage, to obey. Obey the decrees and commands. Obey what God has told us to do. Okay, how do we do that? Well, we do that by remembering what God has done. Because when we remember what God has done, it will evoke obedience in us. See, if the children of Israel would have remembered what God had done, that second time when, when they crossed the Red Sea and they were like, God, we don't know if you can do this, that was one thing. Because they'd never experienced that before. But when it was time for them to cross the Jordan into the promised land and God said, go, and they went, no, nah, I don't know if you got this. That was a problem. Why? Because their experience should have told them God can be trusted. If they would have simply remembered, oh, God had done this before, I can be obedient because God's going to do it again. But they'd forgotten. They remember too much and not enough. We do the same thing. God tells us to be obedient. We go, I don't know, God. But if we would just simply think back and remember the times that God has been good to us in the past, it makes it easier for us to be obedient in the future. Well, God, I don't know if I can take a step and show generosity to my neighbor. I don't know if I could take care of their bill for them. I don't know if I could. Well, if God's telling you to do it, you should do it. But think back, when has God taken care of you before? God, I don't know if you can save my marriage. Has he saved your marriage before? God, I don't know if you can get my kids out of this, this place they're in. Well, has he done it before? What has he done in the past? Because if he's done it before, I bet he'll do it again. When we remember what God has done, it's gonna evoke obedience. And when we're obedient, there are a couple of benefits from this we see in this passage. The first is this, a long life. I know in the Massengale household, my dad, um, he, he made sure I knew that if I was obedient, I would have a long life. If I was disobedient, he would cut it short, right? <laughs> you will not have a long life if you are not obedient. What do we see? We get, God's gonna bless us with a long life. Not only will we have a long life, he says all will go well with you. We're gonna have a good life. It doesn't mean everything's gonna be perfect. It doesn't mean rainbows and butterflies all the time for you if you sign up here. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is you're gonna have a life of joy. You're gonna have a life of peace. The things that God promises us, not the material things, but the things that we really need in life, God's gonna provide for us. And then he says that we're gonna have a legacy of godliness and blessing, that, that we'll be blessed, our kids will be blessed. But this is something that passes down. Why? Because we're obedient. How do we live obediently? By remembering what God has done. God, you've been so good. You've done so much. I know you can be trusted. So God, I'm gonna be obedient. Verse 10 says this. The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give, uh, to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's a land with large prosperous cities that you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig and you will eat from the vineyard and olive trees you did not plant. When you have eaten your fill in this land, be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from the slavery in the land of Egypt. 
So here, here's, here's what Moses says. He says, you're in the wilderness, but, but God's gonna take you into the promised land. And you need to be prepared when you go into the promised land because God is going to provide for you. He's gonna give you things that you did not earn, that you don't deserve. He's gonna give you houses. He's gonna, he's gonna give you this stuff. And this could be looked at as a metaphor. It could be looked at as literal, but whatever the case is, he's saying you're gonna have a harvest from fields you didn't plant. You're gonna draw water from wells you didn't dig. You didn't earn it, you don't deserve it. And he's saying, don't forget when you get to the promised land, when you get out of this wilderness season, don't forget who brought you out of this wilderness season. Don't forget it was God. Because here's the thing, when things are bad, it's hard to remember how good God was. But when things are good, sometimes it's easy to forget who brought us there. It's easy for us to go, oh, well, I earned this. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I got everything I deserved. Well, did you? Or did God take care of you? Did God provide for you? Did God give you the strength and the talent and the creativity? Did God provide for you? Because this is what Moses is saying. He's saying, don't forget who got you here. And it's interesting because he says, hey, don't forget that I delivered you out of slavery in Egypt. But this is the thing. The people he's talking to weren't slaves in Egypt. They were born in the wilderness. And what he's saying is, don't forget where you came from. Your moms and dads were born in slavery. God delivered them out of slavery and he's delivering you into a new season. Don't forget. See, when we remember what God has done, it should evoke hope in us. When we remember what God has done and who he is, it should evoke hope in us because we remember, oh, God's done it before. Oh, God's provided. Oh, God's shown up. God's gonna do it again. Oh, oh, God is saying to us that he's got a future for us. So I know we can trust him because he is faithful. And as you're looking into this new year, my prayer is that you'll look at it with hope. That no matter what this last year has provided to you, you're looking ahead and you're saying, God, I wanna remember how good you've been, because I know if I can remember how good you've been, I can look with hope and optimism at what, what's in front of me. I know that you're gonna provide for me. I know that you're gonna take care of me. I know that you're gonna do good in and through me, even when things seem bad. So God, I don't know what this future looks like. I just know I'm sick of this wilderness. So God, let's go. And God, I'm gonna trust you. I wanna take you back in the story just a little bit. Numbers chapter 11. In Numbers chapter 11, verse four, it says this. Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. And by the way, if you're a slave, the fish isn't free. You just don't have to pay money for it. You're paying for it. You just have to pay money for it. We had all the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic we wanted, and now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is manna. I want to point out a couple of things here. It says the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. It wasn't the Israelites, it was the people with the Israelites. And then what happened? Then they heard it and they were like, yeah, that's right. They began to complain. You need to be real careful who you associate with. And I'm not even talking about Christian and non-Christian because there are some people that call themselves Christians that they complain all the time. And you need to be careful who you walk with, who you sit with. You need to be careful who you let influence you because the Israelites had the wrong people influencing them. They began to crave the good things from Egypt. They remembered too much and not enough. And the Israelites were infected by that thought process. They began to complain. Did you hear what they said? Our appetites are gone. All we see is this manna. Manna. Oh, I'm sick of manna. Scripture says they ate it for 40 years while they were in the wilderness. So I don't know if you had leftovers from Christmas dinner or lunch. Probably you did, but you probably didn't have 40 years of leftovers. I like leftovers, but if I was eating on those leftovers for 40 years, you can bet that I would be complaining about it. 
I would probably be a little frustrated with the leftovers after 40 years. And this is where they were. Let me read another passage to you. This is back in Exodus. This is when God first delivers manna to the people. Remember what they were saying. Oh, if we could just go back to slavery so we could have some food to eat, we're so hungry, right? Their hunger drove them to wanna go back to the past. And this is what Moses says. He gives them instructions about the manna, what to do with the manna, how to collect the manna. And then at the end of this passage in Exodus 16, 33, it says, Moses said to Aaron, get a jar and fill it with two quarts of manna. Then put, in a, put it in a sacred place before the Lord to preserve it for all future generations. Aaron did just as the Lord commanded Moses. He eventually placed it in the Ark of the Covenant in front of the stone tablets inscribed with the ter- terms of the covenant. Moses said, I want to collect some manna so that future generations will see it and know about it. In fact, it is so important for us to collect this manna that we're going to store it in a holy place. Not just any holy place, the holiest of places. We're putting it in the Ark of the Covenant, literally with the Ten Commandments. Why? Why would Moses take manna? put it in the Tupperware, leftover bread that he wants other people to remember forever. Because he knew they'd forget. He knew. He said, this is a blessing. This is a miracle of God's provision. But but someday we're going to forget that God provided this for us. Someday we're going to forget. He knew people were forgetful. And he said, we're gonna memorialize this. We're gonna remember that God provides for us, that God took care of us. And it might not seem like a blessing forever, but we're gonna have to remember that this was a blessing. And there are some things in your life that you might curse today, but they're a blessing because you remember too much and not enough. So my challenge to you today is, is really simple. What are you remembering too much of? What are the things that you've anchored yourself on? The hurt, the heartache, the loss, the pain, the failures. What are the things you remember too much of? And what are the things you don't remember enough of? The goodness of God, the provision of God, the blessing of God. See, have you forgotten the goodness of God? Maybe in your lack, you've forgotten. You go, man, I wish I had some meat from Egypt. Oh, it would be good. Maybe you're in a different season. Maybe you've moved on and you're in a season of provision. Maybe you're in that promised land season and you've forgotten who brought you there. You've forgotten that it was the goodness of God who got you to where you are today. Whatever the case is, would you you just ask God to help you remember? See, remembering what God has done evokes a holy fear, obedience, and ultimately hope in us. I'm gonna turn it over to Pastor Colin there in Blairsville. He's gonna close out the rest of our time together. He's gonna give you a chance to respond, but I love you guys more than you know, and I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a very happy new year. So when we think about what God has done for us, it's easy to forget. But it really begins with this singular event. Jesus gave his life on the cross for us. And if God never did anything else for us, if he never provided anything else for us, if that's all God ever did, he would be worth praising and he would be good. So maybe you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Christ. You've never, you've never said yes to him. I wanna give you a chance. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna make you come forward. I just wanna pray for you. Maybe you're here and you say, Mel, I would consider myself a Christian, but I recognize today that I still have too much of Egypt in my heart. I I still carry that mentality, this longing to go home that that I need God to break that in me. I want want to walk with God. I'm made for the promised land. I'm not made for Egypt. So there's some some ideas, there's some mindsets that need to shift in me. I recognize that. I, I I I want God to cleanse me, make me whole. I wanna give you that opportunity. Maybe you just need to rededicate your life to Christ today. If that's you, I want you to respond as well. So, so I want every person in this place to bow your head and close your eyes with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that in these next few moments, these would be holy moments before you. That God, your Holy Spirit would begin to draw us to you. 
that the people in this place, the people watching online, God, our hearts would be submitted and open. And I pray as you draw us to you, we'd be obedient. So God, speak life into us in these next few moments. Now with nobody looking around, if you're here today and you'd say, Mel, I know I'm not walking with God. I know I'm not right with the Lord. And I wanna surrender my life to Christ today. Maybe it's for the first time, or maybe you're saying, I I need to rededicate my life to Christ. I know I've got too much of Egypt in my heart. I wanna surrender my life fully to God. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna pray for you. And if you wanna be included in that prayer, would you put your hand up real high where I can see it? Say, Mel, include me. Yeah, one, two, three, four hands on my left. Thank you. Yeah, up in the balcony, I see you. Praise the Lord. Yeah, thank you on my right over here. I see you. Just a few more seconds. Who else would say, Mel, include me in that prayer. Pray for me. Yeah, thank you, sir. Yeah, I see you in the back. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Praise the Lord. Romans 10, 9. Tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So I wanna pray a prayer with you. I want you to pray this prayer with me out loud. You're gonna confess it with your mouth, but I want you to pray it from your heart. We're not gonna pray this prayer like a robot, just repeating words. We're gonna pray this prayer to God. So I want you to pray this prayer out loud with me. Everybody in the room, whether you raise your hand or not, say this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your only son, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From this day forward, my life is surrendered to you. Use me for your glory. I'm never going back to my old ways or my old life, but from now on, I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give God a round of applause. Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, scripture says you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So I want you to know we're proud of you. We're excited for you. And we can't wait to see what God's gonna do in your life. So whether you pray that prayer for the first time or you're praying a prayer of rededication, help us help you. We wanna help you take the next step in your faith journey. So if you would, you can either fill out the card that's in the seat back in front of you and then stop by the info center in just a minute. Uh, Give it to them. They're gonna help you take the next step. They're gonna give you a Bible. They're gonna begin to give you resources. They're gonna help you grow in your faith. If you'd prefer to do something electronically, you can do that as well. If you're watching online, perhaps you can simply text Summit PA to the number 94,000. Let us know about the decision you made today. We're gonna help you take the next step in your faith journey. Here's what's gonna happen right now. Pastor Kendall's gonna lead us in a final song. As we're singing this song, some of our prayer team, some of our staff are gonna join me here at the front of this room and they're gonna be available to pray with you no matter what your need is. So if you're here today and you'd like somebody to pray for you, uh, there is no shame in that. There's not a sign of weakness at all. Uh, All it is is brothers and sisters being able to come together and pray together about a need. And so we would love to pray with you about whatever need you may have in your life. So as we sing this final song, feel free to step out from your seat, find one of our team members. And even after we dismiss in just a moment, if you'd like, our team will be available. We'd love to pray for you. So stand to your feet. Let's worship together one more time before we go today, guys. I tell you all the time, but I hope you know it. I love you more than you know, and I'm so glad that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have an awesome day and have a happy new year. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.